Inside Outside Innovation is the podcast that brings you the best and the brightest in the world of startups and innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, founder of InsideOutside.io, a provider of research, events, and consulting services that help innovators and entrepreneurs build better products, launch new ideas, and compete in a world of change and disruption. Each week, we'll give you a front row seat to the latest thinking, tools, tactics, and trends in collaborative innovation. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger. And as always, we have another amazing guest. If you've been a listener to the podcast for a long time, you are familiar with our guest today, Simone Ahuja. Simone, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. Great to be back with you. We are excited to have you back on the show for a couple different reasons. I guess a couple of years ago, we had you on the show and then you were part of our initial IO Summit. And I've always liked the work that you're doing and you've gone off and spun off another book. So I wanted to have you back on the show because your new book is coming out called Disrupt It Yourself, Eight Ways to Hack a Better Business. So I wanted to have you back on the show before it actually hits the bookstores to get a little preview for our audience and to uh, give you a little opportunity to talk about what's been happening the last couple of years since we talked. Absolutely. So mostly what's been happening is a whole lot of research and a whole lot of deep diving inside of larger, more established organizations really thinking about what is it that's keeping them from driving internal innovation. You know, one thing I've noticed, Brian, and you've probably seen this in your practice as well, is there isn't necessarily always a shortage of good ideas coming from large organizations. Sometimes if we're in a big organization, we can get stuck in kind of a business as usual process. But a lot of times things are opening up now, right? People understand what design thinking is. They understand what lean is. That's something I've studied in the past and put forward as Jugat Innovation. All of these have divergent to convergent, iterative pathways to thinking about innovation initiatives. But what I was seeing in my client base over and over again across different sectors, so retail, automakers, healthcare, and so on, is an inability to effectively execute. There were lots of barriers. There still isn't a lot of clarity around innovation as a function, innovation as a discipline. And that's really what the genesis of Disrupt It Yourself. So over the last couple of years, I've been really researching what is it that's holding people up? Who are the people who are activating and catalyzing innovation? What does it really take? For them to do that, do they have specific characteristics? And then moreover, you know, what are the things that managers and leaders can do to support them? And that's really, you know, what Disrupt It Yourself is about. You know, with some engaging stories in there, some rich case studies, some ideas about how to get started, but also very much a playbook so that people can actually get started ASAP. And I think it's really on topic. We've seen this for the past five or six years, this rise of the startups and this talk of disruption, talk of innovation, all these new technologies that are hitting the marketplace now that are changing the way corporations are thinking about themselves. But like you said, it's, it seems to be still very difficult to make that happen a lot of times. So why do you think innovation is so hard for larger organizations to make happen? I think the first thing is a lack of alignment. Typically what I hear is, very senior leaders talking about innovation in a certain way and even demanding it. So making up a part of a strategic roadmap, making sure that it's getting sort of cascaded through the organization in terms of at least the conversation about innovation. And then you have the feet on the street. You've got people who are closely connected to their end users who are seeing real issues and thinking about, okay, well, we could address this in a way that we don't at all or in a better way 
or we could use the same solution for a new group of users. But there's a big disconnect in the middle. There's a lack of knowledge about how to do it. How do we actually do this in our existing system? Now, there's another change that all of us have seen occur over the last few years, and that is innovation is finally becoming a little bit more of a discipline. I mean, if we think of finance, if we think of human resources, you know, decades ago, these were not formal disciplines inside of organizations. They're right. relatively new in that way. And today, you know, we see innovation becoming that discipline, but it's still very unclear. There's still a lot of discovery about what is working, how do we do this. There's a phrase that all of us have heard before called innovation theater, where we <laughs> act like we're doing things, but we're not, right? That's one of the biggest problems is there's a lack of alignment. And if I think of what the disconnect is, I think of things like metrics and incentives. This is huge. For example, I was working with a company that's very, very P&L focused, obviously publicly held company, and I would say even more P&L focused than average. And after working with them for several months and really diving deep into they're more of a product company, so we're moving more towards business model innovation and then looking at big disruptive innovations, emerging technologies, and so on. The thing that was getting missed and the thing that was holding them back was an establishment of new metrics and incentives at all levels. So if I'm an employee of the organization and I have an idea and I want to bring it forward, am I really incented to do this or am I right. going to get kicked to the curb because in the end, I'm going to just get on a path that isn't a part of a typical management path? If I'm a manager and historically, if we think about management, we think about how do we keep people on the rails? Right. How do we keep people within these constraints? You know, forward-looking managers today really need to flip that on its head and think about how do I create space? And it's not an easy thing to do, again, because are you incented to do this? Are you going to get penalized if you don't do this? And, you know, that's something we could talk more about. So I saw some fantastic examples through my research of what it looks like when management actually provides more space to innovate. At the senior leader level, too, I think there's a lot of lack of clarity of what it really takes to innovate on the ground level. And so, you know, we often recommend to our clients, and this is a challenging one, but we say, you know what, senior leadership, you really want this to happen? Let's give you some new metrics, too. Certainly, most senior leaders, very senior leaders, are compensated by upticks in their stock price. But what if they also have real skin in the game? where it comes down to things like the level of support that they provide for those who are trying to drive innovation in their organization. Are you seeing differences between industries? For example, certain industries are either less risk averse and therefore more willing to take bigger bets or more bets and focus more on innovation? Or are you seeing this kind of play out across different industries? Overall, I think it plays out across different industries. Certainly some are more risk tolerant than others. But I think that the key difference I see is really about the size of the organization and how established it is. If it's a larger, more established organization, it's going to be harder to make those shifts. And the mechanics of innovation, the metrics, the measurements, those things start to become really, really important because the culture is so inured, it's so deep. The newer organizations, they have a bit more of a modern approach. Having said that, you know, there are many tech companies we've worked with in the Valley that have some of the exact same problems that 
a 150-year-old S&P 500 company does. Right. And I think that's sort of the nature of the beast as these companies get larger and larger. So I would say it's more about the age of the company and the size of the company than it is necessarily about sector. And then what's your take from the standpoint of, do you think everybody has that entrepreneurial spirit or should be flexing that entrepreneurial muscle and becoming entrepreneurs within their organization? Or are there particular trends or tactics that you've seen that work better than others as far as focusing on entrepreneurship within that company? That's a great question, Brian. I don't think everybody has to be an entrepreneur. Having said that, I think if people see things that are valuable to the organization that could lead to you know, new product services and business models, wherever they lie in the spectrum of innovation, they should have an opportunity and a pathway, a clear pathway to put that idea forward, whether or not they lead that initiative or not. I think the one thing that is really challenging about innovation is that, you know, innovation, especially the big, bold innovations, the things that are meant to be more disruptive, it gets a lot of PR, airtime, attention from senior leadership, And those people who are in the trenches, those people who are working on the core, which is typically the foundational engine of the company that allows the innovation team really to move, it's generating a lot of the revenue that's required to experiment and to innovate, they don't get celebrated enough. So that's its own issue. But I don't think everybody needs to be an entrepreneur. There needs to be a clear pathway and systems in place, though, for those people when they want to bring their ideas forward and or at least to hand those ideas off. Well, probably also takes a little bit of defining what innovation is. You know, a lot of people don't think that if you're a front line person and you come up with a new tactic or something to save some time or money, that's innovation. But that value creation is innovation. And oftentimes we think about the big transformational innovation versus value creation innovation. And I do think that there's a role that everybody can play in an organization towards creating value where they live within the organization. Absolutely. I completely agree. Talk a little bit about the book. One of the things I liked about it, you outlined eight principles to talk and kind of walk an organization through what they should be thinking about in this space. How did you come up with this particular topic and what can a reader expect to see inside it? The principles of Disrupt It Yourself were very closely linked to the research I did. You know, the first case study that I explored in depth was about an entrepreneur named Lane Desborough who was working at Medtronic in their diabetes division and then ultimately tried to solve a problem about tracking blood glucose levels for his son who has type 1 diabetes Mm -hmm. remotely. And he didn't do that within Medtronic. He actually did that externally. Because of his own interest in this topic, because he was so passionate about it, and because he was able to connect with people all over the world who had similar concerns, and they hacked together a solution. I use the term hack loosely because some of these folks were highly talented. Some of them didn't have a lot of specific skills that were closely connected to technology, but they figured out a way to find a solution. Lane then brought the solution back to Medtronic who wasn't very interested in integrating the solution because they already had a very high margin, pretty expensive blood glucose monitor that was really driving a lot of their sales in that division. Now, later we've seen, you know, fast forward a few years and we see there's a lot more connection between organizations like Medtronic, which drives a lot of really fast and frugal innovation itself. But in this case, you know, wasn't necessarily receptive right away. And now they talk to these hackers to figure out how do we all do better for our end users? 
But he was the first example of what I really thought of as an intrapreneur, and it was really driven by that passion and purpose. And so I just wanted to think about who else is doing this inside of large organizations or as a side hustle. And right. that's where the title Disrupt It Yourself came up, because it's really this idea about there's so much that resides on the inside of big organizations. We know that change is urgent. We know that change is needed. There's a lot of great stuff there. How do we harness that? How right. do we take the innovators on the inside? How do we take those ideas that are there? How do we really underline the human side of employment in a big company and innovation, right? By mm -hmm. engaging people so that they feel satisfied and they're also doing the good work that people really want to do if they want to stick around in a big company. The one thing, Brian, that I learned is that 14% of college grads want to work in big companies now. They otherwise want to work in a startup or start something themselves. So this is a big, big problem for large corporations. I've seen that as well, where, you know, one of the first tasks that senior management asks is, well, we know that we've got talented people, but the entrepreneurs either seem to leave or that, or we, we don't see them early enough. So are there particular tactics or efforts that you've seen from organizations to help identify those curious and restless people within the organization and kind of identify and, and harness and raise up those people? I feel like when I speak to managers and leaders in larger organizations, by and large, I feel like they often know who these entrepreneurs are. You know, they don't always make themselves known, and certainly there can be ways of identifying people. But because they're a little bit restless, because they're sometimes looking for back channels about how do we solve this problem, typically it seems like people know who they are. You know, they're action-oriented, they're a little bit more risk-taking, they might mm -hmm. bring ideas, new ideas forward in a way that other people don't. I wonder if identification is the issue, or for these managers, is it, well, I know who they are, but I don't know how to support them. You know, my sense is that it's the latter. Right. You know, that's what I picked up from a lot of my research, where innovation is messy, there's a lot of ambiguity. How do we handle that? when we think about what is it that managers and leaders can provide, well, one of the biggest things that we uncovered is the organizations that are really good at this are the ones that will provide air cover, right? So we've all yeah. heard of if we have a big, potentially disruptive innovation, we take people off site to get them away from the corporate immune system. Like you said, there's this intermediate innovation and then the core innovations. You know, core innovations don't typically meet a lot of resistance. But when we're kind of in that middle phase of tra what I call the transitional innovation, mm -hmm. how do we support people? So the biggest thing we found, and I found is that many organizations, be it Target, Intuit, and others, is this idea of creating air cover. Right. So if managers can provide air cover, which is very much built on a few things. So one is trust. Do we place the trust in the people that are working with us? And that trust leads to autonomy. And that autonomy leads to a sense of engagement. And it's something that allows these entrepreneurs to stay in place. So that is something, creation of that kind of space, that kind of autonomy is something that's very, very critical. And I've seen that time and time again in different organizations who are successful 
in really driving intrapreneurial innovation. And sometimes that means keeping things a little bit quiet. Sometimes it means providing a little bit of budget. You know, a lot of times what I find are the managers who are really good at this either have a very, very big picture perspective. And mm-hmm. oftentimes these folks have been entrepreneurs themselves. So they understand that this is not what you were directed to do. It's not completely off the rails, right? It's still aligned with our strategy. Give it a try. I'm going to create some space for you. I'm going to try to keep fingerprints off of it till you can start to experiment, gather some data, and you have some tangible, whether it's a prototype or data sets that make it a lot harder for people to say no. To wrap up, the last question I want to ask is, what is exciting you most about this particular space nowadays? You've been in it a number of different years and you've seen the ebbs and flows. What kind of excites you about innovation and and where you see the world changing and, and moving forward? With respect to innovation in large organizations and innovation in general, I would say there are a couple of things. With Disrupt It Yourself, you know, we talk about how do you drive this kind of internal innovation. And I feel very optimistic that innovation is going to become more of a discipline, something that's less random, something that is a little bit more meritocratic and not based on title. So I think that's one thing. And the other thing is the human side of all of this. I feel like for many years, we didn't necessarily pay attention to the people behind the innovation in the (laughs) right way. You know, I have a whole chapter talking about passion and purpose and why it's so important to harness that and how harnessing that and supporting it leads to big wins for the employee, for your end users, for your shareholders for the corporation, for revenue streams. So to me, that feels very hopeful. Now, the other thing that I think is exciting, but I think is frightening for a lot of senior leaders is the pace of change continues to accelerate. And that's probably the most common question I get asked today is, well, what is it that forward-looking leaders can do to manage all the volatility, all the complexity that we're facing today? And I think it's this idea of being fluid, right, and agility, and that has two streams, right? So one is mentally, what is your mindset? Can you be fluid in your mindset? You certainly can't know everything, and that's a big shift from years past where leaders were expected to know a lot. Now it's how do you manage information? How do you flex? How do you change? And the second thing is on the organizational side. So how do we create flexibility within our organization. So whether it's philosophy and, you know, teams that form spontaneously, mm-hmm. those I think are the biggest challenges of our time, but also the most exciting coming up in the next few years. It will definitely be exciting to see what happens in the few years ahead of us. Thank you, Simone, for being on the show. If people want to find out about your book or more about yourself, what's the best way to do that? To get the book, it's called Disrupt It Yourself. And you can get that on Amazon.com. You can get it at Barnes & Noble or pretty much anywhere you want to buy a book. To learn more about me and my consultancy, Blood Orange, they can visit blood-orange.com or follow me on Twitter at Simone Ahuja, A-H-U-J-A. Simone, it's been great to have you on the show. Thank you for being another part, another guest on our uh, Inside Outside Innovation podcast. And look forward to having you back on the show in the future as well. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. That's it for another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. If you want to learn more about our team, our content, our services, check out insideoutside.io or follow us on Twitter at the IO Podcast or at Artinger. Until next time, go out and innovate.